kind of curious. What did, how did Cameron do that? Did you guys see him over there? He did something. I can do that too. Got nothing on me. By the way, John was going through the candy this morning. I don't know why he was doing that. But uh, someone put in a paint sample, Valspar paint sample in the candy. candy. Now, I don't know if they expected us to give that away uh, to a child uh, or whether or not it was an accident. So if anybody wants to claim a Valspar paint sample, I got it. And where is it? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Gail. Holy cow. She's the one that you don't want to go to the door. All right? That's kind of scary. <laughs> All right, how many of you guys would freak out a little bit if you came up to a stoplight and there across the street you saw this huge doll staring at you? Now, if you recognize her, my suspicion is that you would not run the light. It's kind of a weird show, but for some reason it's gone viral on steroids. It's called The Squid Game. According to Wikipedia, it is the most watched series in the history of Netflix. In fact, within four weeks, it was getting seven times more views than the most watched episode of Game of Thrones, believe it or not. Now, we live in kind of a weird world, don't we? At least from my perspective, it's not really a great show. Korean show dubbed into English. Acting is marginal, I think. Graphics are marginal, I think. Bloody as all get out. But the premise is kind of interesting. What would you risk for a staggering reward? How much money would it take to get you to risk your life voluntarily against terrible odds? I mean, how low does a person have to be? How desperate would you have to be to defy overwhelming odds to have a shot at winning a fortune that you think might take away all your, all your trouble? Now, even if to win, to win, you'd have to violate all of your so-called moral values. In fact, I think it's really a show on whether we humans are good at all or whether or not we're just flat-out depraved. Now, these desperate people agree to play a series of kids' games, the kind of games that you would have played in the playground. The difference is, if you lose the game, you die. Shot dead right on the spot. So they open up playing a game of red light, green light. You've probably played that before, right? Green light, you can go forward. Red light, you've got to stop. If they catch you moving on red, you're out. So all these guys have to cross this field before the timer hits zero. When the doll turns her back, she says green light, and they all start running forward. Then she turns back around and says red light, and when she sees someone moving, they're not just out, but she shoots them dead right there on the spot. Think that would get the adrenaline going? How would it be like if God did it that way? God explains the rules to us. And if he sees you break the rules, he just guns you down right on the spot. 
Think that solves some problems? No more lying or you die right there on the spot. No more cheating, no more stealing, no more bullying, no more porn, no more adultery, or you're dead right there on the spot. Think that would cut down <laughs> sinning a little bit? Except we'd be looking for a way to game God, right? Always looking for loopholes. Now, fortunately, God didn't set it up that way because for some, I think, crazy reason, He flat out loves us as honor as we are, which is wild. And because, because God values our freedom more than He values our obedience. Because without freedom, there can be no love. So what would you risk for a staggering reward? Or what would you do to avoid a staggeringly bad outcome? What would you do if the Stakes were extreme no matter what choice you made. About 400 years ago, there was a French philosopher, theologian, mathematician, physicist named Blaise Pascal. Smart guy. In his greatest work, he posed what is called Pascal's Wager. He says, all of you guys, all of us, no exceptions, all of us are wagering right now whether God exists or not. You're making a bet right now on whether you believe there's a God. Now, of course, Pascal says the God you're betting on is the God of the Bible, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. You see, Jesus claimed to be God, didn't he? He claimed to be the way, the truth, and the life. He claimed to be the only way to heaven, to eternal life. He did that, which means if Jesus was right, then rejecting him will lead to an infinitely bad outcome eternal death. Bend your knees to him, heaven. Shake your fist at him, marginalize him, hell. Stakes are high, right? And Pascal says that all of us are wagering right now. You are making a bet right now on whether you believe Jesus or not. In fact, you can kind of diagram it like this. This is what Pascal's wager looks like. There are two possibilities, right? Either God exists, God is, or God doesn't exist. He's not, right? And again, Pascal is talking about the God of the Bible, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And there are only two possible responses to this. You either believe or you don't. So it boils down to this. Let's say you choose to believe. You believe in God, you believe in Jesus. If you're right, the gain is infinite. The reward is infinite. If you're wrong, what do you lose? Probably not much. Some pleasures maybe, some luxuries maybe in this life. Let's say you choose not to believe in Jesus. If you're wrong, your loss is infinite. Right? If you're right, if there really is no God, you might gain a little in this life, although I would pick at that. And so, Pascal says, even if the odds are 50-50, any rational man, any sane man, would have to live as if God exists. Any sane man, any rational man, would search for a reason to believe in God. 
I mean, even if the odds were worse than 50-50, any rational man, any sane man would want to wager with his life that there really is a God and that Jesus is his son and look for a reason to make Jesus his Savior and his Lord. You'd have to be crazy not to, says Pascal. Now, there are a couple of things you need to know about Pascal's wager. He doesn't prove there's a God. This doesn't prove there's a God. And, bottom line, I cannot prove to you that there is a God, and you can't prove to me that there is not. Either choice we make is going to require faith, right? How could any human prove that there's a God or not? I mean, if there really is a God, he's not going to fit into these tiny little brains of ours. Pascal doesn't prove there's a God. He's just trying to get you to understand the stakes. What's at stake? Because the wager isn't optional. I think he's right. You're betting right now with your life whether you actually believe in God or not. You are wagering right now with your life how much God matters to you, whether he really is your God. And bottom line, guys, you don't have to be an atheist to wager against God. You just have to blow him off. You just have to marginalize him. But there are a couple of caveats. If you think about it, I don't think it's 50-50, guys. I know I can't prove God to you, but I believe with all of my heart that it takes way more faith to be an atheist than it does to believe in God. Because if you'll open your mind and open your eyes, you're going to see His fingerprints everywhere. If you'll open your minds and open your eyes, if you're willing to believe, you'll see that this world doesn't make sense without God. You don't make sense without God. Good and evil, moral values, love, beauty, that sense inside of you that there's something more, none of that makes sense without God. I'm not going to unpack that stuff here today. I'm going to tell you that that's where we're going in January and February and March and April. It takes way more faith to be an atheist than to be a Jesus follower. And I don't want you to miss this, guys. Here it is. If you look for a reason to believe in God, you will find bunches of them. I'm not talking about closing your eyes and pretending there's a God, even though you know there's not. I'm saying that if you actually are open to believing in a God, if you actually want to believe in God, if you're willing to take a leap of faith, God will help you. If you don't want to believe in God, if you don't want Jesus to be your Lord, He will let you find an excuse to push Jesus away. If you don't want to believe in God, he's not going to force himself on you. He'll let you craft your pushbacks and your excuses and your rationalizations, and he'll let you convince yourself that you're smart and you're courageous and you're righteous to push God away. Why? Because he values your freedom more than he values your obedience. Because unless you're free not to, then your love for him doesn't mean anything, right? But if you give him a chance... Just open your eyes, your minds. You'll see his fingerprints. And here's another thing, guys. Pascal seems to think that wagering on God means that you might lose a little in this life. I don't buy it. I think doing life with God, for God, God's way is way better. Not just in heaven, but it's a better way to live right here, right now. We actually believe that when we do life God's way, we experience more peace, more joy, more love right here, right now. 
The better for a Jesus follower doesn't start someday. It starts the moment you make Jesus your Lord. So it's worth a shot, isn't it? And if you take that leap of faith, honestly, wholeheartedly, the gains are going to be worth the costs, and there will be some costs. So what if? What if there really is a God? And what if Jesus really is the Son of God? And what if Jesus really is the gateway to eternal life, the life we were created for? And what if God really did raise Jesus from the dead? What if that's all true? Do you think that anybody, anybody is ever going to stand before God and tell God defiantly, I dissed you, God, and I'm glad I did? I marginalized you, God. I pushed you away. I defied you, and it was worth it. I did life my way. I followed my path, and I beat you, God. I won. Seriously? Svetlana Stalin. She was the daughter of Joseph Stalin. I don't know if you've heard of him. One of the most brutal, cruel, ruthless men ever to live. She tells how her father lay dying. He was plagued with terrifying hallucinations. And suddenly, she says, he sat up in bed, clenched his fist towards heaven once more, fell back on his pillow, and died. He hated God to the end. Now, do you think that moments later when he stood before Jesus, Stalin sneered at Jesus and said, it was worth it. I won. Now, the incredible irony is that at one time, Stalin was a seminary student preparing for ministry. And he listened to guys like Nietzsche more than he listened to God. He pushed God away with hatred. In fact, his deconversion which led to that kind of hatred is part of the reason that Lenin chose Stalin and gave him such power. And as Stalin lay dying, his one last gesture was a clenched fist towards God with a heart as cold and as hard as steel. Do you think he's fearless, courageous, noble, or a fool? Do you actually think that anyone is ever going to face God and conclude, I pushed you away, God, and it was worth it. I got you, God. I beat you. I won. Listen, guys, at the moment that you realize that his existence and his power and his holiness are no longer disputable, at the moment when you see that nothing is hidden, nothing is hidden, all of the excuses and rationalizations and justifications we have relied on are exposed, you can't BS God. At the moment you realize that he actually will make everything right, you'll also realize that the only shot you've got, the only shot you've got is grace. And fortunately, God is pretty amazing with that too. Now, I know, guys, that if you want, you can push at the edges of Pascal's wagers. People have been doing that for 400 years. But in some ways, he's right. You are right now, right here, wagering for or against God. You are wagering for or against Jesus. In fact, whether you like it or not, you're already all in. And the stakes are infinitely high. And some of us are kind of like, well, maybe I can hedge my bets. I can lower the stakes. I can kind of pretend to believe in Jesus or give a token allegiance to Jesus, and maybe that'll be enough. I'll give him Sunday mornings, maybe. I'll keep my sinning down a little bit, maybe, or... 
Maybe if I do sin, I'll at least remember to ask forgiveness for it later, and that's going to work out okay, right, God? We don't game God. Jesus is Lord doesn't quite work that way, does it? Okay, believe it or not, this sermon is not about the squid game. And it's not about Pascal's wager, per se. It's about 1 Peter chapter 4. We're going to tackle those verses right here, and I'm going to fly through them. Because I'm just going to look for one single thread. And that thread is this. In some ways, you are going to suffer some in this world if you're a Jesus follower. But it's worth it. It's worth it. And if you choose not to follow Jesus, someday you're going to realize, bad mistake. So let's take a run. I'm going to start at the very end of chapter 3 just to kind of set the context. Chapter 3 ends like this. Peter says, Christ suffered for our sins once for all time. That's what he did. He never sinned, but he died for us to bring us safely home to God. Right? Do you believe that? I do. Now, then Peter says, this is huge. He says, now Jesus has gone to heaven. And he is seated in the place of honor right next to God. And all the angels and all the authorities and all the powers accept his authority. If they don't now, they will. Right? In other words, God doesn't bend to me. God doesn't bend to you. He doesn't bend to anybody. Eventually, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. And you will recognize that he holds your eternal destiny in his hands. Because you've got one. So are you willing to put up with pain now to make sure you're on the right side when that day comes? That's what chapter 4 is all about. He starts off chapter 4 like this. He says, so, since then Christ suffered physical pain in this world, you've got to arm yourselves with the same attitude that he had. In other words, you have to approach pain, the pain of doing life God's way, with the same attitude Jesus had. You've got to be willing and ready to suffer too. Because when you suffer physically for Christ in this world, you're proving that you're trying to be finished with sin. And that proves that you're not going to spend the rest of your lives chasing your own desires, but you're going to spend the rest of your lives actually trying to do the will of God. And there it is. You're betting your life on Jesus. Because even though it might cost you some in this world, it's worth it, right? Two things, guys, and and these are huge. Thing number one, look at that line that says, you won't spend the rest of your lives chasing your own desires. Instead, you're going to be anxious to do the will of God. Hear what he's saying? Think about it. He's saying, as a Jesus follower, it's not about my desires. As a Jesus follower, it's not about what I want. It's not about what I like. It's not about what I feel. You know why? Why? Because I'm messed up. Sometimes what I want is wrong. Sometimes what I like is not right. And sometimes we chase what we want down some terrible paths. Guys, there are parts of me that are parts of all of us that are good. There are parts of me that are parts of all of us that are not. And sometimes we can't tell which is which. So, as Jesus followers, we have to trust that doing things God's way is going to be smarter than doing things my way. I don't care what I think is right. I don't care what you think is right. What matters is what God thinks is right. 
someday we'll understand why he's right every single time. Do you buy that? He's God, guys. Can you prove you believe that he's God by the way you live? And here's thing number two, and this is really, really important in our world. What he's saying here is that I don't have to follow my heart. I don't have to spend the rest of my life chasing my desires. You know why? Because I'm not an animal. You're not an animal. I was made in God's image. So were you. An animal has to follow its heart. An animal is a slave to its desires, its urges, its instincts. Of all the creatures of this earth, we are the ones who can say no to what we want. We're the ones who can say no to what we feel. We can say no to our hearts because we recognize that what our heart wants is not as important as what God wants. Let's keep going, verses 4 and 5. Of course... Once you become a Jesus follower, your former friends are surprised. <laughs> they, they don't get it. Your friends are surprised when you no longer plunge into the flood of wild and destructive things that they do, things you used to do. So they turn against you, they slander you. And that hurts, doesn't it? It's painful to be mocked, slandered, and marginalized by those who once embraced you. But remember, he says, remember that they're going to have to face God too who stands ready to judge everyone, both the living and the dead. And if you think about it, you're both in on a wager. They're wagering against God. You're wagering for God. And if there really is a heaven and a hell, it's going to be worth the pain that you might have to endure for a while. Can any pain that you might have to suffer in this world mean more to you than life with God forever? That's not rational. That's not sane. And remember, guys, they're going to have to face God, too, who stands ready, he says, to judge everyone, everyone. And on that day, all of us are going to stand before a perfectly smart, perfectly powerful, perfectly holy God. And on that day, I think we're going to see sin as he sees it. And it's not going to be about what I think is right anymore. And it's not going to be about the importance of following my heart anymore. And it won't be about measuring, as we sometimes do, whether the good we do outweighs the bad we have done. Because we will recognize on that day that the only shot we've got is grace, right? He's good at it. Verse 7, Peter says, the end of the world is coming soon. Read that verse and you think about these guys on a street corner with a sign, right? Sounds like one of those weirdos. Some of you are thinking, well, he got that one wrong, didn't he? <laughs> wrote that 2,000 years ago. What's 2,000 years to an eternal God? Listen, the end became near the moment God raised Jesus from the dead. We've been living in the end ever since. We are living in the final chapter of this life, of this world, and when God is going to wrap this end up, I don't know, you don't know, not even those preachers who think they've got it all mapped out, they don't know. What we do know is that he's coming back, and when he comes back, what happens next will be determined, be determined by what we do with Jesus now. Skip down, verses 12 and 13. Peter says, Dear friends, don't be surprised at the fiery trials that you're going through as if something strange were happening to you. Instead, be glad, 
because these trials you're going through are making you partners with Christ in his suffering. And look what happens next. So you'll have the wonderful joy of seeing his glory when it's revealed to all the world. There it is, guys. Being a Jesus follower is going to make your life harder sometimes in this world. Is it worth it? He talks about fiery trials. Think crucible. Think refining fire. You guys ever watch that show, Forged in Fire? Great show, right? Think of the moment they put that red-hot blade down into that tub of oil and all these flames flare up. And if everything is done right, the blade comes out tempered and way tougher than it was when it went in. That's what's supposed to be happening with us. Hard times are supposed to be toughening us, refining us if we face them right. And these trials kind of make us partners with Christ in His suffering, Peter says. And it's worth it. Because when you get to the other side, you're going to taste joy when His glory is revealed to the whole world. And you don't want to miss that, guys. Because the next time Jesus comes, when He comes back, He's not going to come as a baby born to a backwater peasants in some podunk part of the world. He's not going to come incognito next time. The next time he comes, there's not going to be any pushing back on Jesus, no disputing, no doubting. We're going to see him unveiled, unmasked. We're going to see him cognito. And Paul says every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. Jesus is Lord next time. It's going to happen. And so Peter says, verse 14, if you're insulted because you bear the name of Christ, don't let it rock you. Don't let it steal your courage. You're going to be blessed for the glorious Spirit of God rests on you. But be careful, Peter says, verses 15 and 16. If you suffer, don't let it be for murder, stealing, making trouble, prying into other people's affairs. If you're going to suffer and you're suffering because you're a jerk, that's on you, he says. But it is no shame to suffer as a Christian. In fact, it's a sign that you take your Jesus following seriously. So praise God for being called by His name. Because, and this is the last verse I'm going to look at this morning, the time has come for judgment. And it must begin with God's household. And if judgment begins with us, what terrible fate awaits those who have never obeyed God's good news? Now guys, do you think God is eager to get even with those who diss Him? Do you think God is looking forward to sentencing those who reject Jesus? No. Did way too much to try to prevent it, didn't they? Or is it that he simply honors the choice we make? And if we push him away, he doesn't force himself on us. And then we have to face the consequences of our own sin on our own. And guys, think about it. What if this is all right? What if this is all true? What if Peter's right? What if Jesus really is the Son of God, raised from the dead? What if what happens to us when we die or when He comes back, what if all that depends on what we do with Jesus now? In fact, what if following Jesus does bring some pain? What if it also does make life way better right here, right now? And what if following Jesus right here, right now, really does open the door to the eternity that God made us for. If that's all true, 
I guess I don't care how tough following Jesus gets. It's going to be worth it. It's worth it for now. It's worth it for forever. Guys, we believe the stakes really are that high. Pascal was right. You are betting right here, right now, for against Jesus. If he's the Son of God, there may be finite pain. And there will be infinite gain. Give it a shot. If you want to believe, he'll help you. If you open your minds and your hearts to him, he'll show you. And when that's challenged, don't back down, don't shove him in a closet. You're in the game already. You're all in, all already. He's either your Savior and your Lord, or he's not. And the consequences of rejecting him are too grievous to be worth the risk. And I know that I might sound like I'm making Jesus something like that doll in the squid game. <laughs> do everything right, you live. Do anything wrong, you die. Sounds like God is this ruthless judge, this tyrannical overlord, perfectly fair and perfectly terrifying. On the other hand, there's a difference. If you're driving down the street and come to a light, you see a doll, you see a cross, instead of gunning you down, the moment you mess up, Jesus takes your bullet. He takes your place. Instead of ruthlessly crushing any infraction, he keeps offering this inexplicable forgiveness, grace, over and over and over again, as long as we embrace Jesus as our Savior and Lord. He's not going to do anything to force you to accept him, but he'll do anything short of that. He already has to win your freedom and your future and your love. We got a really cool God, don't we? Hmm. We're going to pray to God in just a moment. I just wanted to take a moment and say, guys, I mean, if He's not the Lord of your life, let's get it done. You know, you're wagering one way or the other, right? So I, I honestly don't think it's smart at all to wager against Him. If you open your eyes, you see his fingerprints everywhere. We're going to talk about that. You see your Savior. You see your Lord. He needs to be both. And it may be that you've been kind of drifting as a Jesus follower and you need a church home. Every Jesus follower needs a church home. Guys, if not Capital City, find another God-honoring church and make it your home. Please, you need that. But for some reason, you want this to be your church home, we welcome you here. We'd love to have you. We're a little weird, but we'd love to have you, right? And so in the next couple of minutes, if you want, I'm going to sit right down here. You can come talk to me. We've got an elder in the back right over there in the prayer room. He'll be glad to talk to you. After the service, I'll hang around. I'd love to talk to you. God's nudging on you. Don't push back. Let's pray together. Father, we're so grateful for Jesus, so grateful that even though you're perfectly holy and perfectly powerful, you're also perfectly loving. And that makes all the difference in the world. Give us the wisdom, give us the courage to stand tall as Jesus followers. In the name of Christ we pray, amen.